Mark chapter 13, we're going to be uh, reading verses 24 through 27. And if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. But in those days, Jesus says, after the tribulation, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we pray for your wisdom. You are a God of truth. You are a God of light. You are a God who is holy. There is no shadow of wickedness. There is no um, untruth in you. Your way is good and true and beautiful. And you have created us to find our satisfaction in you. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the truth. Father, this morning we come to you and we pray for your hand and your grace to our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray for your grace for Virginia Bird this morning um, as tomorrow she travels to Gainesville for surgery. Lord, that you would give her grace as the doctors work. But Father, may you give her grace to trust in your promises. No power on earth, nor scheme of man, nor health debilitation can separate her from the love of God in Christ. Father, I pray for our congregation, for those that are grieving the loss of their loved ones. I pray for Corey Bridger, that you would strengthen her and comfort her, her and her sister Chrissa, as they grieve the passing of their father. Father, I pray for Melissa Brogdon as she grieves the passing of her mother. I pray for Bob Burkhart as he grieves the loss of his wife, Linda. Father, you are a tender and compassionate God. As the psalmist says, you are near to the brokenhearted and you tenderly comfort those who weep and mourn. May our brothers and sisters know your compassion. Father, I pray that you would give all of us wisdom in our daily lives of how that we can live and love you well at home and at work and at play. Father, give us wisdom as we maneuver through these times of political uncertainty, of health risks, of how we can love our neighbors well. Father, may we not be so wrapped up in uh, the divisiveness of partisan politics and issues, but that we would have compassion of our neighbors, even those neighbors who oppose us. That we would have the eyes of Christ who looked upon the crowd and saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion on them, and he taught them. Father, may we love our neighbors and our friends and our family, our spouses well. May we 
share the gospel with them and live out the uh, kingdom ethics at home and at work and at play. Father, we need you this morning. Open our eyes that we would see Jesus and that we would have the unshakable hope of your return. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. As we uh, begin the, the book of uh, or verses 24 through 27, the last uh, verses, uh, the last few verses of Mark chapter 13, uh, we have to remember that uh, perspective is everything. If you were to go to uh, Switzerland and this beautiful little city named Zermatt, um, it, it's so quaint that you feel like, let's get some later hose in and go celebrate and this place. But um, I joke, I don't want to see anybody in later hosen. Um, but if you were to go to this little village, perspective is everything, because you can see in this sleepy little town, you see this ridge is called Zemut, Z apostrophe M-U-T-T, and I'm probably not saying it right. Uh, in the foreground, hovering over the city, and then you also see in the background the Matterhorn, not the Disney ride, but the real-life Matterhorn. And as you look at it, you can almost feel like if you were to get up to the Zemut Ridge right there, the Matterhorn would just be an afternoon stroll uh, right beyond it. Uh, but if you take the time to be able to walk to the ridge, you would see from that ridge, once you experience it, there is a much longer journey that is involved because when your perspective changes, you realize things are not always the way they appear. Objects in the mirror are further than they appear at first. Well, as we go through the book of Mark, our perspective is changing. We begin looking at the uh, first 23 verses, Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, and we see in the, uh, the imminent to the readers, from the reader's perspective, Jesus is teaching them, and he is saying, you see these bricks, they will fall down, and it will happen, we know in church history, A.D. 70, Antiochus, uh, no, that's not, Titus, the Roman general, came in and destroyed the temple. And from that, we think, okay, next thing happens, the return of the Son of Man would ha is to come. But if you look from a heavenly perspective, and if you can this, uh, check this out, this is where we are this morning as Jesus is teaching. Uh, they're about to experience in A.D. 70 the destruction of the temple, but when they get to this ridge and this experience, they're expecting Jesus to come um, back soon. But we realize from a perspective of church history, it's not for at least another 2,000 years where we are that the return of Christ has not yet happened. But as you read through the text, you go from one verse to another, from the destruction of the temple to the return of Christ, you think, oh, that's no sweat. It should be any day now. Perspective, brothers and sisters, is everything. As we look through the book of Mark, we realize that we, as 21st century believers, who believe the words of Jesus and trust what he has said, we must watch and wait for the return of Christ. 
And in this watching, in this waiting, in this 2,000 years since the time of Christ to today, we realize that great suffering and great persecution has been perpetuated by the kingdoms of this world. If you read a church history book, read through Fox's Church Book of Martyrs, uh, opendoors.com, you can see great persecution has come to those who have gone to bring the Gospels to the nations. I'm reading a biography right now on Elizabeth Elliot, and I just got to the point where uh, her husband Jim and the four other missionaries were killed by the Warani tribe. Young, 29, 27, with their whole life in front of them. The nations and the kingdoms of this world are uh, opposed to the message of the gospel. And as we watch and wait, we must be on guard. But with the confident hope of that there will be a day when our Savior appears and brings salvation. We can confidently say at the cross, I have been saved from the power of sin. And as I live and I become more like Jesus, I am being being saved from the power of sin in my life. But there will be a day when Jesus comes back where I am saved completely and finally from the presence of sin in my life. I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But I want you to know, as we now look to this return of Christ, uh, the return of Christ in his fi- is His final triumph over the suffering of this world. The return of Christ is His final triumph over the suffering of this world. And we see... In our text this morning, in those four or five brief verses, his power will banish rival kingdoms. His glory will be fully revealed. And finally, his people will be gathered to himself. He will banish rival kingdoms. He will, um, his glory will be revealed. And he will uh, gather his people to himself because the return of Christ is the final triumph over the suffering of this world. So as we begin this morning, and those uh, will pop back up as we go, we begin to look at the first aspect that uh, doesn't seem to want to come up. Chris, would you bring me... Th- oh, there we go. Never mind. I got it. Should be coming. There we go. The first aspect, his power will banish rival kingdoms, verses 24 and verses 25. I'm old enough to know in this life the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Our world suffers greatly under the curses and the influence of sin. There is disease in our world, abuse, racism, exploitation, wars and pandemics, corruption and death. Each one of us this morning carries unique scars of sin, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We know sin's devastation that has affected our world, our societies, our countries, our family, and even our own bodies. But the promise of the gospel as we read through the text is this. There is a day that is coming 
when all that is sad in this world will become untrue. Wrong will be made right. Injustice that we see on a daily basis will be eradicated. Evil will be exposed and vanquished. There will be no more mourning and there will be no more crying and pain in this world. The essence of God's plan of redemption, as we told the kids last week, his eschatological plan to bring things to completion, the essence of eschatology is not charts and graphs. It's not signs and wonders. It's not trying to figure out the dates of the millennium or the identity of the Antichrist. The essence of God's plan of redemption is the promise that God will make all that is wrong right. And everything that is sad will become untrue. And everything that is broken will be made whole. It's the very words that we sang this morning in Is Anyone Worthy? And you can think as faith ask those questions. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone broken? Does anyone know the, the, the pain of this world? And our answer is, and we're not lying when we answer, we do. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. But the promise of our eschatology and the promise of redemption that began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that was foretold before the foundations of the world, that the Lord is coming to make all that is wrong right, and he will banish evil once and for all. This promised day is known as the day of the Lord. The promise of his return. A day that will usher in uh, a kingdom that does not have death, a kingdom that does not have mourning, a kingdom that does not have crying or pain, for those things are a product of a fallen world, and all that is right will be made whole in the life of Christ. But the day of the Lord will not be a peaceful transfer of power. It will be a day of reckoning. It'll be the day when the Lord returns to vanquish all that have acted in pride and rebellion, seeking their own way and their own kingdom rather than the kingdom of heaven. How many times have you watched on the television and said, that person is getting away scot-free? Or have you seen a child who has been abused and neglected and their life has been lost and you sigh because things are not the way it's supposed to be and you say, somebody needs to pay. There'll be a day when the day of the Lord happens when evil will pay. In this world, sin often gets off scot-free. So we think. But the promise of Scripture all throughout the prophets and the apostles and Jesus' words themselves promise the day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. Notice what Jesus says that he anticipates in verses 24 and 25. But in those days, after that tribulation, speaking of the destruction of the temple, but as we read, we realize that Jesus is not only talking about destruction of the temple. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger plan. This eschatological ending that's happening. 
But in those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Jesus' words are echoing the prophets of old, prophets like Isaiah and Joel that Jerry read for us. If you uh, were to turn to Isaiah chapter 13, you would see that these words that Jesus says are not new to him, but he is repeating almost verbatim the words of the prophets. Behold, the day of the Lord, this great reckoning, will comes cruel with wrath and fierce anger to make the land a desolation and destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and the constellations will not give their light, and the sun will be dark at its rising, and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdoms of darkness that wage war on the kingdom of God. They will pay and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Not only that, but we see in the book of Joel that Jerry read for us this morning, the earth quakes before them, the army, the hosts of the Lord. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And the answer is no one. No one but God himself, who alone is holy and righteous. We need a Savior. As we read through and we hear the echoes of the prophets, we realize that as Jesus speaks, this language of verse 24 and 25 is figurative language describing literal events. Figurative language describing literal events. Like the chaos and darkness that covered the face of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the kingdoms of this world will crumble when the Lord initiates this radical reversal of human fortunes. The stars themselves will feel the effect of the day of reckoning when the Lord comes. The high places where the haughty and the arrogant think they are unreachable will be brought down. The arrogant will be humbled. The powerful will become powerless. The day of the Lord will shake the powers of the, Lord, of the world from their lofty perch. And they will answer for their, to their creator for the wickedness and the evil that they have perpetuated in selfish, self-loving, self-satisfying um, pride. And they will be repaid for every dirty deal, every broken promise, and every backstabbing event or act that they thought they got away with. The kingdoms of this world will stand before the Lord of all creation and every rival kingdom will fall before the great and mighty day of the Lord. Who can stand? No kingdom in this world. For the return of Christ is his final, complete triumph over the suffering of this world perpetuated by kingdoms that wage war against him. 
But not only do we see on that day the darkness and chaos that the day of the Lord will bring to the kingdoms of this world, but His glory will be fully revealed. Notice verse 26. Up to this point, the Jesus warned His disciples that Jesus would come and that the Son of Man three times would be rejected and delivered over to the powers and betrayed. And all three times, he says, the Son of Man, who is He, will be killed. But every single time, he says, I will rise again. The powers and the forces of this world cannot destroy Him. And though at the cross, the forces of darkness engulfed the Son of Man, and they thought they had defeated Him, like the powers of the White Witch and her band of, um, of demons thought they had defeated Aslan at the stone table, there was deeper magic that was happening. The magic of the Gospel, the promise of the holy, righteous character of God that the darkness cannot overcome and the darkness cannot defeat because darkness cannot defeat the God of light. The kingdoms of this world will know, in fact, that this darkness that overcame Jesus will not be permanent. And Jesus would rise again. That he would shake off the bounds of the grave and he would walk, to, walk out. And as we read through these, um, though his disciples go throughout the world and they proclaim that Jesus, whom you destroyed and you killed, will rise again. And he has risen again. And they proclaim he's coming again. But the reality is, as Jesus says in John 17, none of us have seen the resurrected Lord. The kingdoms of this world have not seen the resurrected Lord. At the end of the gospel, there were a handful, 500, 600 people who had seen the resurrected Lord. We cannot see Jesus right now, though he is reigning at the right hand of the Father. But verse 26 says there is a day when the spiritual dimension, this this. Uh, heaven where God dwells that shielded from our eyes, that uh, barrier will be removed and we will see things as they are and Christ will appear. The Son of Man will come and appear to the world and there will be no doubt that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and He reigns. But this language that uh, Jesus is using here is, again, not new to Himself. And this is not a new creation of the apostles. But this is an echoing of the plan of redemption that has been announced through His prophets all throughout the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7, we see it. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, speaking about the return of the Son of Man. I saw in the night visions. Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory 
and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and language shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. There is a day, and though now we don't see Jesus, there is a day coming when we will see Jesus face to face. There we go. We shall see Jesus face to face. And the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, will have all power and authority and glory over the nations and language and tongue. And there shall be no rival to His kingdom. There will be no kingdom that stands, for He will have vanquished His kingdom. And on that day, the Lord, the King of all creation, will look upon, the nations will look upon the Lord the one that they thought they had defeated, the one that they opposed and lied about and falsely accused, the one that they had beat and scourged and mocked and spit upon, the one that they put a crown of thorns on his brow and a scarlet robe on his bleeding back and hailed him King of the Jews in mock, in mockery, the one that nailed, they nailed his hands and his feet to a cross, And he hung naked. A sign above him said, the king of the Jews. The one they crucified as a common criminal between two common thieves. Jesus Christ, the one who was smitten, stricken, and afflicted by the hands of evil men who knew not that when they struck him, they were striking the flesh of God himself. Archbishop Park, when we see the glory of Jesus revealed on that, the day of the Lord, the darkness and the uh, chaos will not overwhelm us. For Christ is being uh, shown to the nations that he has all power and glory and authority. And Jesus says in verse 26, they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds, with great power and glory. This new era of God's presence is among His people. This new heaven and earth where Christ reigns with His people. And as this congregation is listening in Mark chapter 13 in the first century, they're still standing in the shadows of this great temple. A temple that will fall and be laid waste but a temple that is no longer the place where God meets with his people. The new temple, the greater temple, is Jesus Christ. And that cloud that in the temple that filled the temple at the tabernacle at the end of Exodus, that cloud now that left the um, temple in Ezekiel, that cloud who is coming again will be bringing Jesus with him. That cloud is the presence of God himself and wrapped uh, Jesus. And the heavens and the earth will be filled with the glory of Christ and all the nations will look upon him and see his glory, the glory of God himself. J.C. Ryle put it this way. Whoa, okay. All right, if you can, Chris, can you try to maneuver back to the, this is the Calvin quote. Um, we'll go back to J.C. Ryle, about probably four or five. 
Let me read it here. Jesus came first to suffer, to bear our sins, to be reckoned a curse, and to be despised, rejected, unjustly condemned, and slain. He shall come to a second time to reign, to put down every enemy beneath his feet, to take the kingdoms of this world for his inheritance, to rule them with righteousness, to judge all men, and to live forevermore. Ocean Park, that day when Christ appears will be a day of great glory and honor and authority for the kingdoms will see Jesus as who he is and God will dwell with man and in his new heaven and new earth eternally. And as we wait for that day, we remember that the return of Christ is his final triumph over the suffering of this world. Because Christ's power has vanquished the kingdoms of this, uh, his rival kingdoms of this world, and his glory will be fully revealed. But th that's not the end of the story. As we see the uh, glory of Christ revealed, as we see the kingdoms banished and done away with, um, we see that God will gather his people to himself. And the chaos and the darkness and uh, consumes the world when everything feels upside down. We have the promise of God's grace that he holds us fast and nothing can touch his elect. Jesus told us in John 14 that often we read at funerals that in his father's house there are many rooms. When Christ returns, not one of those rooms will be empty. None whom Christ has purchased with his blood will be missing. No one in the new heavens and new earth will say, where are the rest of the people that are supposed to be in these rooms? No one that has been united to Christ by faith. The chosen, the, the faithful, genuine followers of Jesus, the elect, all these synonyms, no one will be left behind. Notice verse 27, the promise of Jesus is in the midst of chaos, in a world that is turned upside down. And it says, Then they will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth and the ends of heaven. Everywhere. From every tribe and every tongue and in every nation. Everywhere. There will be no rebel hideouts that refuse to give up the people of God. There will be no corner of the globe that is beyond the jurisdiction or above his pay grade. There is no government that can deny the authority of the God of all creations, the Lord of hosts. He will gather his people to himself. Every person who has breath in their lungs on the day of Christ's return will be gathered to Jesus. And every person who has died in faith will be gathered from the farthest corners of our planet, will be gathered and be with the Lord forever. Calvin says this, I gave you a sneak preview a couple minutes ago, whenever we perceive the church scattered by the wiles of Satan, or torn in pieces by the cruelty of the ungodly, or disturbed by false doctrines, or tossed about by storms, let us learn to turn our eyes to the gathering of the elect, 
to the uh, drawing together by the angels. And if it appears to us a thing difficult to be believed, let us call to remembrance the power of the angels. How will God get his people from the bottom of the ocean? How will get God's people who, those who oppose like Wycliffe, they burned his body so his body could not be recovered? The power of the angels, which Christ holds out to the express purpose of raising our views above humans' means. We can't do it, but God can do it. For though the church may be tormented now by the malice of men, and every broken by the violence of the billows, and miserably torn in pieces, so as to have no stability in this world, yet we ought always, always to cherish confident hope, because it will not be by human means, but by heavenly power, which will be far superior to every obstacle that the Lord will gather his church. I know Chris and I have talked about how the Lord will gather those who have died at sea, who have been burned, who, uh, who have been lost. And I said, I don't know, but I know the God who brought this world from nothing, will gather his people and make them whole once again. Glorified bodies to be able to do the will of God and dwell in the presence of God forever. And this is our hope. There's not a single man, woman, or child who has died in faith in Christ, being united to him. The Lord will not lose one of them. He knows where every single one of the elect, his people, that he has redeemed from every tribe and every tongue and nation where it lies, those who were buried at an old age and those whose lives were snuffed out too soon, those who served him in safety and those who died on the martyr's pyre. No man... No kingdom of this world, no authority can refuse the command of Christ to give up his dead who he has bought with his blood. To where will the elect rise? The elect will rise and come to Jesus. He will draw them to himself. People from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. People from every time and every generation and every dispensation. Young and old, black, white, Asian, Latino. Men and women, cultured and tribal, educated and illiterate, powerful and peasant. The hope of the resurrection is for all. And the hope that Christ will rise up his own and bring them to himself. This week, Bob Burkhart and I went to the National Cemetery and we buried Linda's remains in her final resting place until Christ returns. And I read the words of committal that Christians have traditionally read at the funerals of those who have died in faith, who have been buried with the hope of the resurrection. I read these words. Upon the mercy of Almighty God, we commend the soul of our sister departed, and we commit her body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ocean Park, there is a day coming when the trump 
shall resign and the Lord shall descend and the dead in Christ, all who have been died in faith will rise again. And the nations of this world will see Jesus not as a marginal Galilean Jew, not as a crucified criminal, not as a tragic page in church history, but as the very Son of Man infused with all power and glory and dominion and honor. And on that day, the hosts of heavenly angels will descend upon the earth and the dead in Christ will rise. And there will be a spot that's marked in Jacksonville Memorial Cemetery, A1, in the upper left-hand corner. And that spot will be vacant because Linda will no longer be there. But she will be now whole and she will be restored and she will have a body that is perfectly equipped to enjoy God and do His will and dwell with Him forever. Not because of what she has done, but because the victory that Christ has won on the cross and the consummation of his kingdom that will happen when he returns and sin and death is vanquished and all things are made new. What a day of rejoicing that will be. There's a song, I I did not plan to use this this morning, but I was shaving and this song came into my mind. Um... I could have put it, played it for you, but I want to read it to you. Written by Ben Shai, made popular by Andrew Peterson. It's called Rise Up. Every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall, every serpent here that strikes your heel and curse you when you crawl, the king of love will one day crush them all. Every sad seduction and every clever lie, every word that woos and wounds the pilgrim children of the sky, the king of love will break them by and by. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and murdered every son, would not the father see this? Would not his anger burn? Would not he repay the tyrant in the day of his return? Await, await the day of his return. And when the stars come crashing into the sea, When the high and mighty fall down on their knee, we'll see the sun descending in the sky. The chain of death will fall around your feet and you will rise up in the end. Because he will rise up in the end. He will rise up in the end. I know you need a Savior. He's patient in his anger, but he will rise up in the end. Brothers and sisters, these words remind us that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. In such words as we read that sin will be vanquished and the glory of Christ will be seen and God in His grace will gather His elect from the four corners of the earth, not because of what we have done, but because what Christ has done and we will dwell with God. These words should bring great comfort to those who are friends of Christ. Rejoice. The world is not the way it's supposed to be, but your king is coming soon. The struggle and the tears and the efforts have not been in vain. You will reap what you have sown in faith and receive a rich reward that 
for you have endured to the end, whether it be the end of your life or the end of the kingdoms of this world, you will rise up as a someone who's been united by faith. And on that day, he will gather you to himself. On the day when you shall exchange that old rugged cross for a crown, and you will always be with Jesus. Those who are friends of Christ will be comforted by these words. But those who are uh, enemies of Christ, members of the kingdoms of this world, uh, who have given their devotion to the, the, the kingdoms of this world, will be confounded as Jesus' foe. The warning is this, your judge is coming soon. Jesus of Nazareth, whom you so long have despised and rejected, have you, you who have refused and denied, you have mocked him and held him in dis, disdain, you sh he shall have preeminence in creation. And on that day, he will gather you to himself. But the gospel that you have refused to believe will be of no help to you. For you will stand before the Son of Man not as a benevolent king who loves you and who has saved you, but a righteous judge. And you will stand before him on your own merit, not on the righteousness he gives to all who trust in him. And you will be helpless and hopeless and speechless. He will be your judge and you will be found guilty. But Ocean Park, as long as you have breath, the grace of God calls you to repent and believe, to be numbered among the elect where God has worked in your hearts, May this never be said that may you not be confounded by the return of Christ, but you be comforted. For Jesus calls us as we repeat again and again, repent and believe. Repent of building your own kingdom and living for your own glory and you're indulging your own flesh. Re uh, repent of your allegiance to the kingdoms of this world, your own kingdom, for you are guilty before the judge of all creation. And believe. Believe the promises of the gospel that says when Jesus died, he took your punishment for your treachery and your treason and your living for yourself. He took that punishment in full and declared it is finished. And he gives you a righteousness that, that allows you to go in the presence of a holy God. And he rose again from the death to give you life. And he is coming again to gather you to himself. And you will always be with the Lord. Repent of your sin and trust in Christ today that you may be saved. That you may enjoy the new heaven and the new earth with Christ and his people for all eternity. In the kingdom where all wrong will be right, all, everything sad will become untrue, everything that is broken will be made whole. Brothers and sisters, the essence of the eschatology is not trying to figure out the times and the place, the signs and the wonders and making charts and graphs, but knowing with confidence that the problem of evil will be solved once and for all. May we trust the words of Jesus and every day repent and believe and say with confident hope 
and blessed assurance, come quickly, Lord Jesus, for he will banish all the rival kingdoms of this world. His glory will be uh, revealed and he will gather his people to himself. For the return of Christ is his final triumph over the suffering of this world. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you and we need you. We need you because we feel the brokenness of this world. And the world tells us many answers, but there is only one place that accomplished salvation from our brokenness and from our sadness and from our own rebellion. And that's on Christ, the solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand. May we have faith to trust you today and wait in hope for your return. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen.